and welcome to Parkour Ed. My name is Colin Daly. Parkour Ed is a podcast where I invite people from the IFS community, teachers and staff members, to come in and tell us the paths that they took that led them here to us at IFS. Today, I have a very special guest with me, and as always, I'm going to let him introduce himself, starting with his name. Hello, Colin. My name is Francois petit Pirin. Something special about my name, my last name, is that it means uh, Little Peter in Old French, so not in French exactly, but in, uh, in Old French. And Francois obviously means French, so it's quite a, a very French name. When I first saw your name, Petit Perrin, or Petit Perrin, I, I kind of made an assumption that it was a, a combination of your mother's name and your father's name. Is that true? No, 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 it's not. Petit means like a son of, like a Mac for the Scottish or a Von for the German. Oh, uh, really? People. Kind of like Johnson or Peterson exactly. for the Scandinavians. Exactly, Johnson Peterson, yeah. P- oh. Petit Perrin is, uh, is actually Peterson. Exact, uh, oh, it's Peterson. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I did and not And in the realize. south of France, it would be Perronet. Peroné, Peron is uh, Peter, and Peroné, uh, little Peter. Yeah. So do you have a lot of brothers and sisters? One, yeah. only one, yeah. One brother? Yeah, a younger brother, a but younger... now he's almost the same age. So yeah. you got the Francois name first. Exactly. And what's, his, what's his first name? Arnaud. Arnaud, okay, yeah. so we went with the, the very French names. Yeah. When were you born? I was born in uh, where or when? Sorry. When, when? When, in 1978. Okay, so you're born in 78, and yeah. I'm assuming you were born in France. Yeah. Where in France were you born? Not far from Paris, in a town called Clamart, which is not very famous, but there is a huge hospital. So many children from the southwest of greater Paris were born in Clamart, in Antoine Beclair. It's a huge hospital. For, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I'm not familiar with it, but is that part of the Paris region? Would that be considered yes. the region of Paris? Yeah. And how far would you say it is from, say, the center of Paris? It must be like uh, from, oh, from the center, perhaps like, uh, let's say, 10, 10 kilometers from the center. Oh, but so from, really it's, not it's, that it's, far. Uh, very close from, uh, from the border between Paris and the suburbs. It's uh, oh, okay. Clamart, in, the, in the, what we call the Haute-Seine. Okay. In 92 uh, département, the district. Right. And so that's where you were born. Is yeah. that where you spent most of your childhood? Did you grow up there? Uh, not far, yeah. No, not far. In a small town called Malakoff and inside Paris too, in the 16th district. Your family was all from that region or did they come from different parts of France? My father's family is from the east of France, what we call the Franche-Comté. So oh, the, yes. the cheese uh, right. region and uh, a cow region. It's like the Besançon and area. Exactly, okay. exactly. Yeah. Besançon, exactly, is from there. And my mother is basically from Paris, even though if you look back in the past, of course, it's a little bit more complicated, but both her parents were from Paris, yeah. The reason I ask about parents is because oftentimes I've found that French people, even if they grow up and spend most of their life in the, in the Paris region, they still have a connection to someplace else. Oh, that's true. And so on summer holidays, uh, I don't know, did you, did you travel back to your father's region to see your grandparents or anything like that? Or was it... Was every that something that you did? Or? Yeah, every summer. Okay. Every summer from, I would say, from two until 15 years old, I was going at least uh, two weeks in this region where my grandparents had, uh, so they were living in Besançon, but they had a secondary house in the countryside 
And yeah. so it's uh, yeah, a lot of memories. I've met a lot of people in that situation where they get outside of Paris and in the summertime when they're kids. And so that's already a, a different culture. So you're a French person. You, you grew up speaking French at home. Your parents didn't speak any other language at home. No, no, no. no they no. were speaking English when they didn't want my brother. Uh, ah, English was their <laughs> and, secret language. And, and I t when they didn't want us to understand, they were speaking English like for uh, secrets. Ah, things, so that, uh, yeah. that could have been a motivation to yeah. learn English very early, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. I've had a lot of people come and tell me about the parents' language. I know some people with parents who were from Brittany who spoke Breton language would use it as a secret language as well. But English, that's the first time I've heard that. That's interesting. Did you go through the classic school system where you start school when you're in maternelle? Or did you go to like La Crèche? Did your parents both work or did you stay at home? Uh, when yeah, you very little? classic. Yeah, yeah. yeah, maternelle, like a nursery school, right. and then, uh, uh, well, nursery school, like c'est la crèche, yes. La crèche, And yeah. maternelle, yeah, and then uh, primary school, so yeah. So maternelle in English, we would call, like, kindergarten is, kindergarten. Our, is our grand section, okay. kindergarten. But then we have, like, pre-K, mid-K, and kindergarten. In the United States, we call it that. But I know in France, you actually have toute petite section as well. Uh, yeah. Here at our school, yeah. we have that as well, too. So. Yeah. so you started very early in maternelle like that? Quite early, if I remember well. I think, yeah, around the, perhaps not three, like some children, but probably like right. four or something like that. First, I think I had a nanny. And then when my brother was around three, we both uh, went to, uh, oh, to a nursery school. Yeah. And would that have been a neighborhood school, something yeah. close to the house, yeah. walking distance? Yeah, yeah. Okay. very close. Yeah, yeah. And then my uh, and, and yeah, then, yeah, my milk didn't didn't have time to dry uh, after my uh, on my shirt after uh, after my breakfast. Yeah, okay. I, I was still wet. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's a great image. You've got uh, your breakfast is still on your shirt. By yeah, the exactly. Time you get to school. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so so you go to a local kindergarten. In primary school as well nearby yeah. and yeah, then yeah. college and then lycée did you go through the the classic lycée system and then of yeah. course at the time you would have been in would that would have been at the time when you had like the bac l and s or yeah that exactly like yeah, yeah. ABC? yeah. Bac, okay so so what type of what type of baccalaureate back with the s you so it s? was yeah okay. s well the scientific one yeah all right because at yeah. the time there was s os and l right those exactly are the, those yeah. are the three classes. exactly ones. yeah yeah and uh so um you haven't told us, but you, you're mostly a history and geography teacher yes. here, but you have taught French as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, in the U.S. So yeah. in the U.S. you taught French as well, and we'll get to that. Yeah. We'll get to that. Uh, but as far as your orientation in high school, in lycée, you went the scientific route, but you ended up having quite a literary or a, a yeah. humanities type of uh, job. Can you speak to that? Is that pretty common? Knowing now that you we're going into education and to teach, you know, French and, and history and geography. Would S have been the, was S was still the right orientation for you? Or would US or L been something that you would have considered? I think it was a nice choice with hindsight, but at that time I didn't really think about it because in this high school, most of the classes were S classes, like the terminals. We had like one that was literary, so L, and uh, one uh, S and eight eight classes that were S scientific. Uh, so classes. that was the most popular orientation. Yeah. I guess the the thought being that if you you succeed in S, then you can transfer to any area because it's yeah exactly very yeah. very demanding, very academic, yeah, very yeah. challenging. Yeah, and I think that continued that that was a continuation from the back C, the back A and B. It was very similar from what I I've 
come to learn no, no, by me talking too. to yeah, my yeah, colleagues. Yeah. But now it's different. Now we have different options. So people construct their parcours in, in high school much differently. So you finished, you graduated, you got your baccalaureate, yeah. obviously. <laughs> yeah. And then what happened next? And then I studied law during three years. And it was a very nice experience. I was very happy with those uh, studies and being at college. But little by little, I was interested in history. So studying law, I was choosing some options that were related to history of law or uh, history itself, sociology and things like that. And so little by little, I wanted to learn more about it. And so I had a double curriculum for uh, two years. I studied law and history in the same college. So it was possible to do it, but it was a double curriculum. Would that have been the second and the third year that you were in your studies? You said you, you studied law for three years. Did yeah. you study for three and then add two more? So with a degree, you could at that time, I don't know if it is still the case, with a law degree, you could enter the history courses, I think in second or third year. So you didn't have to pass all the courses. You could enter your studies the way some students do after doing what we call prepa. So I didn't have to start all over. So during two years, I went to my law classes and my history classes. And it's also a very, very nice period of my life. Wonderful. And you were still living in Paris? Yeah. Were you living at home with your family or did you find a room? Yes. So my parents were not together anymore. So it was a little bit between perhaps more with my mother, but it was not far from where I was studying. So okay. So. And were you studying right in Paris? Yeah, right in Paris. What yeah. was the name of the... La, La Sorbonne, Panthéon Sorbonne. Oh, okay. Paris 1. Paris All right. I know it well. I studied there for uh, a year when I was a student. Ah, really? I was enrolled in, in the United States, but I went abroad and, and did the classes for, for foreigners to, ah, to learn French. Uh, uh, a nice place. Yeah, I, yeah. I really enjoyed it. After you finished those studies, what year would that have been? Just to put us in context, as a historian, think, you can... Yeah, yeah, I think it was like two, 2004, something like that. Okay. Cool, yeah. So you finished at uh, the Sorbonne in 2004, yeah. and, and then, then what did you decide to do? Then I decided to try to get my teaching certification okay. as a uh, history and geography teacher. And it was also a very nice period of my life. Yeah. All right. So how did you do that? Did you pass a, a concours? Is that yeah, what that is? Yeah, but first, first you have one year of special classes. So you have to enroll. Having your master degree, you can okay. enroll. And it's quite a lot of work. All right. Really, yeah. So you better get a team of classmates to share information and sometimes reading books and sharing summaries of books. So it's nice, but it's a lot of work. Now, you're no stranger to study because you'd been doing law and history. Were you studying pedagogy or were you studying more geography, history and geography? So it, it was more the, the subject. The subject matter. Yeah, really, to be honest. Okay. And once you get your certification, yes. then you have a year during which you teach, but not full time. And you also learn a little bit of pedagogy. How long did that process take from start to finish? So it's a like one year of prep. Yeah. Then you get your certification if you pass. Otherwise, you can start again and again. And then during one year, having your certification, you are paid. And it was like uh, more than 15 years ago. So at that time, you had to teach six hours per week. And you had to go to classes at least uh, two days per week. 
with other uh, young teachers like yourself. So you finally went through all that process yeah. and you finished and yeah. you're a teacher. Yeah. Where did you go then? So I went in a, what we call college, but it's a middle, middle school. school. Middle school, yeah. In a middle school. That'd be from sixième to troisième, right? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Sixth grade to what we'd call ninth grade. Ninth in the grade, exactly. Yeah. Sixth to ninth grade, yeah. So I went and I stayed there for eight years. I went in a middle school in a suburb north of Paris, a town called Stain, but it's not very famous. It's not far from the airport, uh, Charles de Gaulle, All right. uh, the huge airport. And it's quite a poor area. The inhabitants are mostly from African descent. So okay. some of them are children of people who were in France like 20 years ago, but some of them just arrived five, three, two years ago. It really depends. But right. most of the students of the children were from African descent, from African culture. Perhaps uh, economically underprivileged a bit. They don't yeah. have as much, really, many yeah, resources. Yeah. And what was the school like? At the very beginning, it was very tiring to be accepted by the students. And they seemed, especially the ninth graders, they seemed so tall and re really yeah, huge and almost adults. And after uh, four or five years in nine, the, exactly the same school, it was completely different. I knew them and they seemed, yeah. Yeah, they seemed to me like, <laughs> like children. Uh, they were like a 14 year old, year, uh, old uh, children. It's, uh, when I'm I sure, arrived, I yeah. was really... Uh, I'm sure it makes a big difference to watch them grow as well, yeah. because the kids who were in CZM, you know, three years later, Later, you remember them from exactly. the season, yeah, yeah. so you know that they're still kids. So that sounds like it was challenging, but rewarding. Yeah, really, really quite, rewarding. Quite yeah, rewarding, yeah. especially at the end. Yeah. And how long did you say you were there? Eight years. Eight years, quite a long yeah. stint. Yeah. And then afterwards, what did you do after that? After that, I went to the United States to follow my wife. Okay, uh, so let's backtrack. Your yeah. wife, when did you yeah. meet your wife? Oh, we met a long time ago. We were children. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Okay. We were, yeah, our parents were friends. Okay. So I know her uh, yeah, uh, for, a, for a very, very long time. So this was an arranged marriage, right? No, 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 not exactly. <laughs> no, no, no. No. <laughs> no, no, no. First, we were friends. Right. And uh, very, very good friends. And we knew each other very well. We were very good friends. And at one point, when we were very young workers, we decided to rent a house together with other friends. Okay. Uh, so we were so roommates oh, or housemates. Exactly. A house. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it, we were like a nice uh, group of friends, a little bit like the Friends uh, show. Yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> Friends. Yeah. Okay. In a house, uh, very nice, having other friends, uh, very often uh, dinners and parties uh, in this house, and uh, and we fell in love with each other. It took like. Uh, Less than a year, we were uh, running together, swimming together, uh, sailing together. So we shared uh, this, we do share, we still share this passion for th sailing boats. And so during trips together, we fell in love. And it's still the case where we we're in love. That's wonderful. How old were you when you got married? So first we lived together. Right. And when we decided to move to the U.S., we realized that living together was not enough for the, for uh, the, visa the American administration. The green card, yes. And we already had like a PAX, like a something, yes. like a civil, yeah, a civil, uh, a civil agreement. Yeah. Exactly. But it was not enough. So we got married. And so it's thanks to the United States government exactly, that yeah. you tied the knot. Yeah. All right. Well. Yeah. So it was it was half uh, a wedding and half a farewell uh, party. Okay. Uh, especially <laughs> for my wife because she had to leave France in uh, in January, 
And I couldn't do that to my students. I knew it was my last year in this middle school, but I really didn't want to leave after eight years. I didn't want to leave in the middle of the school year. It was oh, impossible yeah. for me. So we had an agreement, my wife and I, that every break, every holiday, I would go to the U.S. to see her. And so I could stay until the beginning of July. Well, that's great. It's a bit ironic that your, your marriage began with a separation. It's true. It's usually, yeah, the, other, true. It's yeah, usually yeah. the other way around. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> that's true. So... You decided to follow your wife who had a job opportunity yeah. in the United States. And where in the United States did you go? In New York. New right. York City. Yeah, yeah. So tell us about New York. Where did you stay? It was great. Arriving there and uh, moving there, it was great. First, we chose an apartment in Upper West Side. So with no children, we wanted to be in an area uh, not far from my school, because I found a job quite quickly. What, what uh, was the name of your school? Um, NIFAX, New York French American Charter School. It's oh, okay. in Harlem. In Harlem. So we wanted okay. to Nifax be between Harlem. Harlem and downtown, where my wife was working. And so Upper West Side was just between our job locations. And, and it was also a very nice neighborhood, close to right. the park and with a lot of restaurants. And Sounds and wonderful. Yeah. So you settled into Manhattan. Very Manhattan. close to, to Central Park. And how long before your children arrived? So it took, I think, let me count, it took three years. So you had three and, years yeah. of exploration and yeah, yeah. freedom and uh, exactly, yeah. chance to sleep at night, that type yeah, of thing. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How many children do you have now? Two. And were they both Two. born? Yeah, in, in New York. Yeah, in yeah. New York. So they're American. Yeah, they're American. Yeah, wonderful, yeah. wonderful. My countrymen. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Boys, girls. Uh, so one boy, Raphael, okay, who is now seven, okay. and Charlotte, a girl who is now five. Okay, so it's yeah. grand section CE1. Exactly. That, all right. Exactly, Sounds yeah. good. So kindergarten and second grade. Exactly. Yeah. Here at IFS. Y yeah. In wonderful. IFS, yeah. And so for a total amount of time, how long did you stay in New York? Eight years. Okay, eight so, years. That yeah. seems to be a. You were nine years at, or eight years at your previous school? Exactly, yeah. Eight years in New York? Exactly, yeah. And, and then from New York, you came to Singapore, am I correct? Yes. Okay. But obviously, you went back and forth to France on holidays. And you were on still holidays, yeah, because I'm lucky uh, to be a teacher. I right. have uh, this huge, lucky. huge summer. We're yeah, we lucky. are. Yeah, exactly. So it's the best job in the world. So, yeah, this summer was great for me and the children. It was an opportunity to spend two months in France. So did you take your kids to Besançon? Yeah, yeah, yes, <laughs> yes. So then the decision was made to come to Singapore. That was a family decision. Your wife found a job and you found a job. When did you arrive here in Singapore? So it was during the end of COVID, but still it was during the pandemic. My wife's position was just cancelled. Not only hers, but her entire team in New York. Okay. So they offered her a different other position. Yeah. So we chose Singapore for the position itself, but also the country, the city and Asia. So we, it was really a global thinking, and, uh, and we are very happy with right, uh, right. this choice. You were teaching college near the airport yeah. in France. Yeah. I, I forget the name is Stain. Stain, yeah. Stain. It, near Saint-Denis. It's Saint very close. Very near it to touches Saint-Denis. Uh, okay. Saint it's in the 93rd uh, exactly. de yeah. department. Yeah. And your charter school, was that a yeah, middle school a ch a charter as school. well? It was a primary school and only the beginning of a middle school. Okay. We had sixth and seventh graders, and the year I left, they were opening an eighth grade. Okay. And what was the population of that school? I mean, it was in Harlem, right? Yeah, Harlem. So Harlem has many different areas. Some areas are more challenging than others, but was it similar to your school in Stan? 
No, no, it, it was more diverse. diverse it was okay. uh, so the school is in the west of Harlem, not far from the Columbia neighborhood. So it's just down the slope of Columbia University. So you have a very diverse population. Some people are very wealthy and they own a big brownstone, the, right. the name of this kind of house. That, with uh, the big staircase exactly. leading up to the, to the yeah. second level? Yeah, exactly. With a big base, yeah. Yeah, a big basement yeah. also, yeah, exactly. Beautiful So we had very houses. wealthy families. Some of them were French, some of them mixed couples from France and a, a French and an American uh, spouse. And some others were from Africa, but most of them were uh, American uh, citizens, but from West Africa. But they were not what we call African-American. They, no. Their family arrived 20, 25 years ago. So it was like a very recent immigration. I see. And with the West African heritage, the, most of the countries in West Africa are French-speaking. Exactly. Right? So yeah. Senegal and, yeah. and Mali. And that is the reason why the school was fu- founded in this area. Oh, and, okay. Yeah. yeah. So from there, you came to Singapore, which was a huge demographic <laughs> yeah. shift, I imagine. Yeah. Your students, your classrooms must look much different here. Yeah, yeah, it is. Which is exciting. It is, yeah, very exciting. Yeah. But, and it's uh, very nice. When I arrived, so it was the middle of the year, and I was lucky. So I, I was proposed a, a position in the French department, French literature. It was completely new for me, but I told my colleagues and the administration that I was ready to face uh, this challenge, and they helped me a lot. They were very nice to me, both my colleagues and the students. And so it was a great uh, year. Half a year, but it was great. So teaching French after teaching history and geography, for the most part, was a big change. But you seem like someone who would enjoy that challenge. And with your experience in studying law, obviously a very literate person, you have to do a lot of reading. That wasn't that big of a leap. No, no, really. It was okay. I had to review some books that I read a long, long time ago. But truly, it it was with the help of my colleagues. It was a very interesting year. And... You obviously, having been in New York for a long time, had experiences with French speakers who weren't as proficient in French. Maybe it was a language that they spoke a bit at home and they went to school, but being in, a, in an American environment most of the time, maybe you had students, I'm guessing, but you probably had students whose level of French wasn't quite as high as maybe you would find in France or maybe even here. But here, did you find that there were a lot of English speakers in your French classes when you arrived here too? Yes, but most of them were also very good French speakers. So they were uh, bilingual, which is really a great luck. We have a great program here where kids arrive with knowing no French and very quickly they learn quite a bit. And our French passerelle system and our Flesco program was really, really good. How long before you made the switch back to history and geography? when you're here so just a half a year just a half just year. half a year and then i was offered a position in the history and geography department so it was last school year and again i was welcomed very very warmly by my colleagues that i knew because the french teacher room is very close to yeah, the history right, right across the hall it's exactly good. yeah That's well so placed. i knew them and it was very very easy for me to adapt in this new team uh, they were very very nice helpful so, yeah, last year was also a great year. Yeah, That's that. great. And yeah. how did you like to switch? Because now you're teaching lycée as well, high school yeah. kids. And so, if I'm correct in following the order of things, you were mostly teaching college, maybe with a little bit of primary school, up yeah. until your arrival here. Yeah. 
And so now you're teaching lycée. How do you like that? It's uh, very nice. Yeah. yeah, I love the students here and the curriculum. It's very interesting. So for most parts, it is the same things that you teach during the middle school curriculum, but you go a little bit deeper and you ask your students to be able to think a little bit more and also, of course, to write and to express themselves verbally and a little bit more than when they were middle school students. So you ask more, but the basis is the same. I know that history is a very important subject, but as American, we have a bit of a caricature. A lot of times, history is something that's politicized quite a bit in the United States, and there's a lot of debate, and so oftentimes there are textbooks and schools make decisions about what manuals will be used to teach. And the idea of pedagogical liberty, like the French talk a lot about uh, la liberté pédagogique, you know. And in the United States, schools have a bit more power over how instruction is done. Sometimes they'll give you a manual and say, this is the program, and we're using this manual. Not all the time, but in many schools. And history is one of those subjects that there's always a textbook. And I don't no. Do you have a textbook here? Yeah, yeah. You can you can choose to to you use it if you like. To, yeah, but it's uh, most of the time it's quite convenient to have good documents, colored documents instead of a of a copy, and so it's it's very useful. Right, right, and it's it's useful, but you can deviate from it yeah. if you want. But it is useful. And in the United States, when I was growing up, the history teachers always had the history book, and this has probably changed, but. The caricature is that in the United States, the history teacher is often the football coach, somebody who's brought into the school for some reason because they're a good coach or, you know, athletics are so important. Well, we'll make him a history teacher because he doesn't have to prepare the lessons because they're already in the book. Okay. And, and, and so there's also this belief that in the United States, it's a young country and Europe is far away and, and people aren't as engaged in history and even geography. We joke about Americans not knowing where certain countries are. And these are caricatures. This is not the reality for the majority of people, but I think we're all aware of these. But I found that coming into French school systems, both the French and the history and the geography teachers really occupy an important role in a school and in the development of how the kids think. Philosophy as well, but philosophy is later on. It's towards the end. I've noticed that it's usually very high academic standard, and the people who deliver the instruction know a lot. And, you know, after getting to know you a little bit, I've been impressed with the topics that you discuss casually, and which <laughs> are you. pretty highbrow for your average American person anyway. So I find that interesting. How did it feel for you when you were living in the United States? Did you ever have any contact with other history teachers, American history teachers? Did you feel anything like what I've just described? Or? Oh yeah, really, yeah. yeah. But, uh, but Harlem is a very special neighborhood in New York, so there is an African-American culture. So very early, during the second half of the 20th century, people in Harlem were looking closely to history books, not only about slavery, but also about native people and the way you talk about Columbus and the the white settlers, the European settlers. And so I think there is like this past of thoughts about how you must teach history in a diverse neighborhood. How can you be able not to oppose people, not to blame nowadays people for what their ancestors have done, exactly. but just to teach history and try to teach our students what happened. So some things were beautiful and some others were not that beautiful. Some were very sad and sometimes horrible. And so I think in my school, there was this culture of thinking about the curriculum with always in mind the diversity of our students. 
from different backgrounds. And so to, to try to be objective and to talk about history, respecting all of those backgrounds. It's challenging. It's, yeah, it's yeah, kind really. of a minefield, especially yeah. with the culture wars happening in the yeah. United States at the moment. There's a saying in English that, that history is written by the winners. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I'm sure that exists in every language. I remember as a young boy, school integration in the United States laws were passed in the early 60s to integrate schools, but a lot of schools didn't actually follow through until the mid-70s. They dragged their feet and found reasons to do it slowly. And so when I was in elementary school, we, we were still integrating. And then they brought in a lot of new curriculum, new history curriculum, and we, we started studying African-American history, and we started studying the history of the slave trade, which was very interesting, but it was quite a, a change. And I remember my parents feeling kind of surprised that things that they had studied as kids were no longer in the curriculum, which was obviously a political choice. Yeah. Uh, and it was an important choice for the evolution of the country, but it's hard to accept by some people. And that's always hard to deal with. I don't feel like we have that problem here as much, but maybe. We well, recently went together to Cambodia with the yeah. Sagon students, yeah, yeah. and we visited Esventian, the prison building, kind of a torture area yeah. for the Khmer Rouge. And that was a hard visit and very interesting. So when we talk post-colonialism and just the history of colonialism in this region and everywhere around the world, that can be a tricky thing. But for the most part, there, there's not too much opposition or argument with what's being taught today at our school. Or is there stuff happening below the surface or there, behind there are, the scenes that I'm not yeah, aware of? There are still some debates about the, the way you should talk about colonization and okay. decolonization among French politicians and uh, philosophers and still some debates here. Something that we've been too harsh with European countries and that we should also uh, talk about the good sides of the colonization and some others believe that really there are no real good sides of colonization even when you build roads, the real reason most of the time is not to help the local people, but just to bring some goods from one mining area, for example, to a port. And so there is still this debate among people, yeah. I see, I the see. Way, the way you should talk about colonization. Right. And of course, back in the day, long time ago, they were yeah. so proud of bringing Christianity yeah, to, no, the, exactly, yeah. to the savages of Asia or whatever, yeah. which nowadays, the idea of it is not acceptable at yeah, all. But. Exactly. So far, you've been here for just over a year and a half yeah right almost two years almost yes, two years yeah. so five left yeah right if you stay on your eight-year plan <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> i would love to yeah and really. so you've been very active since you've been here you helped set up the trip that we went on in cambodia and you're well known and well liked already in a short well, time that you. you're here students love you and i feel lucky to have gotten to know you a little bit and i hope to get to know you a lot more but now that you're here you mentioned that running, sailing, these are things that you like. What else? What are you into? What do you like to do in your free time? So I run here. I swim quite a lot. Okay. And during breaks, holidays, we travel quite a lot, yeah. Great. My family and I travel a lot. Asia is new for us. And so we are trying to discover as many countries as we can and as many islands as we can what in are... Malaysia, Indonesia. So what have you seen so far since you've arrived? So far... Keeping in mind that it was just coming out of COVID. Yeah, but arrived. still, it was very sad to hear people talk about the fact that many areas were empty and that they couldn't get any money. But it was great to see some areas like the Angkor uh, temples almost empty, Bali, Ubud almost empty. So we're uh, really sad to hear all those stories of people having restaurants or about taxi drivers with 
no money, so we were trying to help the best we could. But still, it was great to see those those places uh, wow. almost so, empty. So, so you went to Siem Reap, yeah. Siem Reap to Angkor Wat and to the Angkor other temples, Wat. and you went to Bali. We went to Bali, yeah. Went to uh, India a little bit later. Lovely. So what part of India did you go to? Northwest. Okay. So the, Is it the Rajasthan? Taj Mahal, yeah, Rajasthan okay. and Uttar Pradesh. Nice. So great experience. So it was last winter. Well, there's no winter here, but right, uh, right. last December. Yeah. And uh, we went to Thailand twice. But the countries that that we enjoyed uh, the most was uh, Malaysia and Indonesia. Okay. Those islands and, uh, and even uh, Malaysia, the mainland. It's very close to here. I know you went to Penang in yeah, Malaysia. Yeah. yeah. And, and we other, loved it. Other parts of Malaysia that you liked? In Malaysia, we traveled with a car, so it was a road trip on the west coast of West Malaysia. So Sorry. Malacca and exactly. Okay, yeah. great. Yeah. Until Langkawi. Well, Langkawi is an island, but uh, right, so we went right. to, to Langkawi. It's near the Thai border. Yeah. yeah. And then during another break, we went to East Malaysia on Borneo, and it was a great experience to the the jungle. Did you go to Sarawak or to Sarawak? Sarawak. Yeah, exactly. Lovely, yeah. lovely. That sounds. Dreamy. I haven't been to East Malaysia yet. No? I, I still need to go. Are you heading anywhere here for the All Saints break? Or? So, yeah, we go to Flores and, and the Komodo. In Island. Indonesia. Yeah, in oh, Indonesia. Beautiful. Yeah, to see the dragons because <laughs> my children want to see the dragons. It's so. beautiful. Kelimutu, uh, the, the, the volcanic lakes with the three different colors and Flores. Oh. It's in the center of Flores. And the diving is beautiful there through the water. Oh, it sounds oh, so, great. Yeah, I'm looking forward to, to seeing it. And so your runner... I know yeah. you're a runner. Do you compete at all? Do you sign up for runs? Uh, yeah, I signed up for the standard chartered race, the half marathon uh, all right. in December. Excellent. So still, uh, yeah. That's great. Yeah. So you're in training right now. Exactly. You yeah, look yeah. very fit. You look ready to go. <laughs> thank you. That's great. Is there anything else I forgot to ask you about? Oh, thank you very much not, for, uh, we might for not your welcome know. and this interview. No, it was very interesting. I'm really happy to get to know more about you, and I'm sure everybody else will find it interesting, too. Thank you for taking the time and coming in and sit down with me. Thank you, Colleen. Thank right. you very much. Bye for thank now. You. This has been Parkour Ed with Colin Daly. If you enjoyed today's show, consider giving it a rating on Apple Podcasts. Also, if you'd like to be interviewed or if you have questions about anything, feel free to contact me at colindaly at gmail.com. That's C-O-L-I-N-D-A-I-L-E-Y at gmail.com.